0: It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today, Janet Yellen is going to go back up the hill for the second of her two-day congressional testimony, and already what she said made headlines uh, yesterday in the financial press, although it's actually not what she said that made any headlines. It's what the financial press wants to imagine or pretend that Janet Yellen said, because all of the headlines, and you can go and you could read them for yourself, but they're all about how the Janet Yellen puts the Fed on a path to hike rates later this year. Fed reiterates rates going up, higher interest rates. Janet Yellen, very hawkish testimony, hawkish meanings. She wants tight money, which obviously we've totally lowered the bar on what it means to be a hawk. I mean, interest rates are at zero. And if you want to raise them to 0.25%, you're a hawk. I mean, come on. There's nothing hawkish about advocating that interest rates be at 0.25 percent. But the main issue I have with the coverage is about Yellen's commitment or assurances that interest rates are likely to rise as if anything she said reiterated that or somehow may have tipped the balance in favor of a rate hike. Whereas if you thought the Fed wasn't going to raise rates this year, well, now you know differently now that Janet Yellen has decisively said that rates are going up by the end of the year. That is not what she said. Let me start off by reading from her prepared remarks, right? This is what is written and uh, submitted to Congress. So the prepared remarks are, you know, each word is thought of, very specifically because the fed knows that whatever they write in the prepared remarks is going to be looked over very carefully by everybody right by the media by wall street they know that they're going to parse over every word looking for some kind of hidden meaning. so if they write something down that's what they meant it's not like an off-the-cuff remark like you would have seen or you would hear in the Q&A period, which I'm also going to discuss, which was also very, very dovish. But what they write is very, very important. So let me read to you from their prepared remarks. And of course, all the newspapers that are putting the headline that Yellen says she's going to raid rates, they're all quoting from these, this sentence I'm about to read. So they're reading this sentence and they're jumping to this ridiculous conclusion. So I'm going to read, quote, if the economy evolves as we expect, economic conditions likely would make it appropriate at some point this year to raise the federal funds rate target, thereby beginning to normalize the stance on monetary policy. That's it. That's all they wrote. And from this, everybody concludes that rates are going up. I'm going to go back and read it again more slowly so you can see all the conditionality that is deliberately put into this sentence. It begins by if the economy evolves as we expect. If, right, that's a big if. So before the Fed is gonna do anything with rates, first thing that has to happen is the economy must evolve as the Fed expects. Well, when does the economy ever evolve as the Fed expects? Probably never. And what does the Fed expect? I mean, they're not saying specifically what they expect only that the economy needs to evolve as they expect it. So even if the economy improves, those improvements may not live up to the Fed's unspecified expectations. So that's how it starts. If the economy gets better, right, or if it improves the way we expect, economic conditions likely would make it appropriate. Make it appropriate, right? This is talking about raising rates. So the economic conditions might make it appropriate to raise rates, not that economic conditions will result in us raising rates or will will require us to raise rates, but that it might be appropriate to raise rates. Well, just because it's appropriate to raise rates doesn't mean the Fed is going to raise them. In fact, if the Fed was going to do what was appropriate, they would have raised rates a long time ago. In fact, they never would have lowered them to zero. Zero percent interest rates was never appropriate. In fact, Janet Yellen has said many times herself, that she's likely to leave interest rates lower than would be appropriate given the other uh, fundamentals because she believes that there are special circumstances that warrant keeping interest rates at unappropriately low levels. Those are her own words. So all the Fed is saying here is that if the economy evolves the way they expect, which is a big if, then it might be appropriate. It might be appropriate to do something. But, of course, they have plenty of precedent of not doing something even if it is appropriate. And again, she says it likely would make it appropriate. Likely is also a conditionality. Maybe it's probable that it would make it appropriate, not 100% guarantee. So even if the economy evolves as they expect, it might not be appropriate to raise interest rates because she says it's only likely. And even if it's appropriate, there is no commitment to actually raise rates at any point this year if janet yellen really said what all the media is pretending she said she this is what she would have said given the strength in the economy we will be raising interest rates later this year okay if she said something like that then you can say fed is going to raise rates this year she said nothing like that not even close it looks like the fed went way out of its way to promise nothing to commit to nothing yet that's not the way the media is covering this. And why is it? Well, because everybody wants to pretend that the economy is good. And what the Fed is saying is if the economy really evolves the way the Fed expects, if everything gets better, well, then it would be appropriate to raise rates. And so if it's appropriate, I guess they will do it, right? Because, well, why would they not do it if it's appropriate, even though nothing they've done has been appropriate, but everybody gets to pretend that the economy is in great shape if they can pretend that Janet Yellen is about to raise interest rates. And of course, all of this make believe causes the dollar to rally. It causes gold to go down. Gold is now below 1150. The dollar rose, the dollar index is not at a new high, but the Canadian dollar hit a new low for seven years or so. Canada came out yesterday and cut rates. They cut rates to a half a percent, which is matching the low from the 08 financial crisis or 09, whatever they got to a half a percent. And they cut their official forecast for Canadian GDP for 2015. And the Canadian dollar got hammered. But the reality is interest rates in the U.S. are still below interest rates in Canada. And I think they will remain below interest rates in Canada for 2016 as well. Meanwhile, yes, they have reduced their forecast for growth in Canada, but it may well be that Canadian growth, even though it's slower, could still outgrow, the Canadian economy still may outgrow the U.S. economy in 2015. So why is the Canadian dollar getting hammered? Because Canada is easing they've cut interest rates and the fed is perceived to be tightening even though they haven't tightened at all even though monetary policy in america is still easier than it is in canada yet somehow the fed is getting credit for being tight that's why i say that what they're doing now it's like they're having their cake and eating it too when it comes to rate hikes because by talking about raising interest rates although They're not even really talking about it. They're hinting at it, and the media is doing their work for them. But the Fed can actually pretend that the U.S. economy is strong enough to withstand higher rates without actually having to raise rates and prove that is not the case. Because the minute they raise rates and we're rolling over into recession, it proves that the economy can't withstand the higher rates. So by talking about how you're going to raise rates, you never have to put that hypothesis to the test, because you don't actually raise rates. But you know, not only was Janet Yellen's prepared remark very dovish, but so were her responses to the questions in the Q&A. And I watched a good portion of this, and I don't see how anybody can describe anything she said as being hawkish. One point in particular was in response to a question about raising rates and the pace of increases and janet yellen acknowledged that rates have been at zero for over six years and she said look we've had rates at zero for a long time we're going to be very careful very cautious in our approach to raising them she says we're going to go very slowly so we can observe the effect of the rate hikes And if we notice that the rate hikes are causing a problem, right, if it's hurting the economy, if it's causing any kind of pain, we're going to back off. We're going to slow down. So if they raise rates to a quarter of a percent or a half a percent, and then there's a reaction in the economy to the higher rates, then the Fed's going to stop raising. They may even lower them back to zero. What's hawkish about that? We're only going to raise rates if we can do it without hurting the economy? Do you think when Paul Volcker was jacking interest rates up, to 20%, whatever, 1980? Do you think he cared if it hurt the economy? Do you think he was? Of course he knew it was hurting the economy, but he was raising rates anyway because he knew the economy needed it. He knew it was the painful medicine, the bad-tasting medicine that we needed to swallow. What Yellen is saying is if the patient at all doesn't like the medicine, if he makes a bad face and indicates that this is not sweet-tasting, that they're going to stop administering, right? They're not going to do anything that is uncomfortable. And think about this. If Janet Yellen is saying we're only going to raise rates if we can do it without hurting the economy, then she's admitting they're never going to raise rates because it is impossible to raise rates without hurting the economy, especially given how long they've been at zero. Yellen herself again admits they've been at zero for a long time. Therefore, the economy has become dependent on, addicted to those low rates because lots of decisions have been made. Lots of money has been borrowed and been spent Based on 0% interest rates, you raise those interest rates and a lot of those decisions are revealed to have been wrong. There are a lot of malinvestments that need to be liquidated. That's what happened when Alan Greenspan raised interest rates and pricked the housing bubble. And where all of these loans that had been issued at low interest rates were revealed to have been bad loans. It's like that's that old expression when, you know, Warren Buffett always used this one. When the tide finally goes out, you see who's been swimming naked. Well, we're all swimming naked. And if Janet Yellen raises rates, that's all going to be revealed. The tide's going to go out. So she has to keep interest rates at zero to mask all the problems that have been created from interest rates being at zero. But think about this. If the Fed deliberately lowered interest rates to help the economy, that was their goal. Well, if they raise interest rates, by definition, that would hurt the economy. If lower interest rates are helpful, higher interest rates have to be harmful by definition. And so how can she raise rates without harming the economy? And it's actually not even the economy. It's the bubble. Interest rates, 0% interest rates were the fuel for the bubble. If you take away the fuel, the bubble deflates. But if you're committed to, well, if we take away the fuel and we see the bubble deflating, we're going to stop and we're going to fill it back up again. That's basically what the Fed is committing to. We need these low interest rates more than ever. I would say that 0% interest rates are more necessary now than they were six years ago because we're six years into the addiction. We have all this debt that didn't exist six years ago. And so the more debt you have, the more problematic it is if rates go up. Also, she said that she's not worried. She was asked by somebody whether she was worried about the effect that higher interest rates would have on the economy. And she kind of gave a nod to that in that she said, well, we're going to monitor it very closely to make sure that it doesn't have an effect. But she went out of her way to say, look, we're only going to raise rates if the economy is getting better. And so if the economy is stronger, well, we'll be able to handle the added interest payments from higher interest rates. But that's not true because The interest payments will go up way out of proportion to the economy. If the Fed were to raise rates to one or two percent, the percentage increase in the debt service cost across the economy would dwarf the minimal gains that we're actually getting in the economy. So debt service would become a much larger percentage, even if the economy We're growing but i would argue that higher interest rates will make that type of growth impossible i mean the reality is the economy is already weakening and i'm going to get into some more of the economic data that came out in the last couple days later in this podcast but if the economy is already weakening now with interest rates still at zero what would happen to the economy if the fed actually raised them above zero the economy would weaken even faster So to pretend, hey, it's no big deal because we're only going to raise rates if the economy is strong, and if the economy is strong, then we can afford the higher rates uh, belies the the, the fact that if the Fed raises rates, the economy will weaken simply as a result of the rate hikes. Because 70% of this GDP is consumption, and where are consumers getting the money? They're borrowing it. And what is the cost of borrowing the interest rates? Look at the auto loan bubble, right? You think people could be buying cars if interest rates were at zero? No, they wouldn't even have the demand for all the securitized subprime auto loans. And it's not just auto market. The entire economy, this whole bubble economy rests on a foundation of 0% rates. You raise those rates just a little bit and the whole house of cards comes falling down. I mean, That's why interest rates have been at zero for so many years, even though it's not appropriate. Because if you raise rates, you'll prick the bubble. That's appropriate. We should prick this bubble, but that's the last thing the Fed wants to do—is prick a bubble. They want to nurture it. They want to keep it growing as long as possible. But what are the more ridiculous exchanges? Uh, When she was talking to a congressman, she was about the long run. You know, like and and she had to acknowledge that yes, you know, these deficits could be a problem in the long run if they get so big. Well, for one of you know what the the, this she was asked. Well, when do we get to the long run? Because we're in the long run. Yellen's saying that the deficit may be a problem in the long run. It's a problem right now. That's why interest rates are still at zero, because it's a huge problem. And if she raised interest rates, we would have to deal with the problem. So by keeping interest rates at zero, we can pretend the problem doesn't exist. But the deficit is already too big. It's already unsustainable. That's why interest rates had to go to zero. The question is, how long can the Fed keep them this low so that we can pretend we are solvent? But, you know, one of the most interesting questions, and I wish Janet Yellen would have answered it, but she was saved by the bell because the guy who asked the question was out of time. And so apparently because he was out of time, Yellen didn't have any time to answer it. So she was probably very relieved And then they went on to somebody else. But here was the question. She was asked, because you've waited so long to raise rates, what is the Fed going to do if we go to another recession? What if before you get around to raising rates, the economy rolls over back into recession? You've never raised rates, right? So you haven't reloaded your policy gun. So what are you going to do if the economy rolls over it goes back into recession, and rates are still at zero. Now, she never answered that question. Now, I don't think she can answer that question. All she could say is, well, we'll do QE4. But, I mean, that would let a count of worms out that she doesn't want to let out. She doesn't even want to acknowledge it. She would probably have to say, well, that's not going to happen, right? I mean, there's no—but she always wants to leave that possibility open. I mean, she says it all the time, and she said it, and she reiterated it during this Q&A, that it's all data-dependent. And so, yes, obviously, if the economy rolls over, they're not raising interest rates. But what are they going to do? I mean, obviously, they're not going to be able to respond with the same type of stimulus that she responded with before. But, you know, the reality is that I think this is the biggest disconnect that I've ever seen. This is worse than the dot-com bubble, worse than the housing bubble. Why can't people perceive this threat? The fact that if interest rates were to go up, we can't afford to pay. I mean, it's just like I was saying the same thing about subprime mortgages. And I was talking about all the teaser rates back in 2005 and 2006. And I said, what's going to happen when these rates reset, when the teaser rate period is over? And now mortgage holders have to pay these higher rates. Nobody could see the problem there. It, to me, it was so obvious, especially since people were qualifying for mortgages based on their ability to pay the teaser rate. They didn't care about what would happen in a few years after the rates were set. That wasn't part of the process. As long as you can afford the introductory rate, you got approved for a loan, in many cases, a guaranteed loan. And why couldn't people see the problem there? I mean, they kept saying, well, who cares even if the payments go up? Well, they'll just refinance or they'll sell their house and make a profit and then i would say well what if they can't what if their house has gone down in value what if it's worth less than the mortgage and then they would say well that's impossible real estate prices never go down and that usually ended the conversation so people couldn't see it well this is bigger the problem that the u.s economy is going to have when the fed raised rates is much bigger than the problem the mortgage market had when mortgage rates went up. And it wasn't about necessarily the Fed raising rates. It was just about these teaser rates expiring. That was the whole point of the teaser rate. You got a lower rate for the first couple of years, and then it reset higher. And of course, there are lots of people with 0% interest for a few years, negative amortizing loans that all had these you know, big balloon features that where the rates would spike up. And so I knew that there was this looming, ticking time bomb That no one wanted to see. Well, this is a bigger ticking time bomb. It's almost like the bigger the financial problem, the fewer people can see it. It's like directly proportionate. The bigger the problem, the fewer people can spot it. And why is that? Because you would think it would be obvious. Surely, the bigger something gets, the more obvious it should be. But to me, the bigger the forest, the fewer the people that can see it for the trees. And of course, there's also a psychological component. When a problem is this big, nobody wants to acknowledge it. Because then it's then you've got to admit how bad things are. So I think the bigger the problem is, the greater the incentive not to see it and to pretend everything is OK. So from my perspective, the crisis that's coming is so much worse than the crisis that's passed. The signs are even more obvious, but the same people who are oblivious to the last one are oblivious to this one. Meanwhile, you know, the media is continue to cover this thing everything is great. The Fed's going to raise rates because the economy is great. And obviously, they must be getting ready to raise rates because the economy is great. I mean, if they weren't getting ready to raise rates, that must mean the economy is not great. And no one wants to accept that. We all want to pretend how good the economy is. So let's pretend the Fed's about to raise rates, which serves the Fed's purpose fine because they are not going out of their way to correcting uh, this misinterpretation of what they write and what they say, because again, it helps them perpetuate the narrative of the effectiveness of their policy, of the legitimacy of this phony recovery, and maintains the illusion that rate hikes are possible when they are not. But another example, too, of the way the media spins things look at the way they're covering the stock market crash in China. I read this article, here's the headline. Billionaire Paul Singer, China crash is way bigger than subprime. Way bigger. That's the headline, as if what's happening in China is worse than the mortgage crisis in the United States. So maybe there's going to be a bigger financial crisis in China. Nonsense. I'm reading from the article, too, here. Chinese stock market has dropped from a June 12th peak, wiping out almost $4 trillion in value in less than a month. So they're talking about how $4 trillion is wiped out in a month, and this is bigger than subprime. And of course, subprime was just a small part of the entire mortgage problem, but maybe the subprime market wasn't $4 trillion. But what the article doesn't mention is all of that $4 trillion in paper wealth that was wiped out in that decline from June 12th to mid-July, none of that paper wealth existed as late as mid-March. So that entire $4 trillion that was wiped out was created in the three months leading up to June 12th. Now, over the entire four-month period, the market is still up over 12%. I mean, if somebody was in China and they, they took a four-month vacation and they came back and they saw that the market was up 12%, I mean, they would think, oh, it's pretty good, 12%. In four months, that's 60% or whatever that is a year. That's great. The market's doing great. They wouldn't even know that there was a crash. They wouldn't even know that $4 trillion was wiped out. You can't talk about what was wiped out unless you talk about what was created just before the wipeout. This is not a crash. This is volatility. And again, I mentioned it before. Why did the market run up so dramatically in three months? Because the Chinese government all of a sudden allowed a bunch of Chinese to buy stocks that prior to that, it was illegal for them to buy. There's a lot of people in China. So all of a sudden, a lot of people are trying to buy the same stocks at the same time. You have a huge increase in demand. What happens when there's a big increase in demand? Prices go up. Everybody rushes in. Prices go up. Now everybody's in. Now there's some profit taking, some short selling. The market comes back down. That is very normal behavior. It happens all the time in America, only generally not to the whole market, but to individual stocks. You look at many stock charts, a stock comes out with some good earnings, and then three or four analysts come out and upgrade the stock. They all put a buy on it. Everybody rushes to buy it. The stock is up 10 20%, 25% in one day, sometimes more, jumps up. What happens then? All right, well, there's a rush to buy. Then some of the people who already own decide to take profits. Maybe some people who are short come in or whatever. And then eventually the market drifts back down. Usually when a stock comes out with good earnings and a lot of analysts get behind it, a lot of times you want to ignore it for a while, allow the initial rush of buying. And then once the market comes back down, then maybe buy it for yourself. So the same type of market dynamics are playing out in China, only it's not one individual stock. It is the entire market. Yet the media is focusing on these problems in China. Of course, they focus on the problems in Greece, and everything is great in America. And so this narrative is perpetuated. And again, that allows the bubble to get bigger and bigger because it provides fuel in the form of a stronger dollar, which keeps consumer prices lower, which keeps interest rates lower, which allows this whole house of cards to stand that much longer. Also, let me just conclude this podcast by going over some of the economic data that came out during the week, which shows that the Fed's optimism is unwarranted. And rather than evolving, as the Fed expects, the economy is unraveling. The opposite of what the Fed expects. First of all, the Small Business Optimism Index came out, National and Federation of Independent Business. That index in June plunged to 94.1. That was a 4.2% drop. It's now at the lowest level since April of last year, April of 2014. There are 10 components in that index. Nine of them were down, and one of them was flat. So pretty weak. But the weakest number of the week was June retail sales. Now, they were expecting retail sales to be up 0.3. Instead, they were down 0.3, the opposite of what was expected. Now, last month, we got a big spike, 1.2%, but that was revised down to a spike of 1%. Strip out autos and gas, excluding autos, they were looking for a rise of six-tenths. That would have been pretty big. Instead, we got a drop of one-tenth. They were way off. So very, very weak retail sales for June, which is likely going to trim something off of the second quarter GDP. If the second quarter GDP comes out in the low twos, let's say two, one or 2.2, two, maybe it's going to come out below two. But even if it comes out around two one two two, 2.2, that means the average for the first half is going to be 1%, which means to get the 3% that everybody was thinking we were going to get in order for liftoff and higher rates, we're going to have to get 5% in the second half. No way that's going to happen. In fact, I think there's a good chance that the second half can be so weak that the entire year ends up being maybe under 1.5%, which would mean this is the weakest year of the recovery. In fact, the second quarter is likely to be the high watermark for the year Given the enormity of the inventory build, there's still so much inventory that I can't imagine they're going to add to it in the third quarter, which is what really saved the third quarter last year. And the fourth quarter has typically been weak throughout the entirety of the recovery. It's generally been the second and third quarters that have saved the year. And this time, I don't think it's going to work out that way based on the data that's out. Also, within the retail sales numbers, I was looking at the bars and restaurant sales, fell in june 0.2 they don't normally fall in fact that is the biggest decline since january of 2014 not january this year january of 2014 given the fact that so many jobs in this so-called recovery have gone to waiters and bartenders you know many of them part-time if sales are now falling at bars and restaurants. What does that mean about hiring at bars and restaurants? Obviously, it's going to slow down. Maybe they're going to be laying some people off. So this is bad news for all you college grads that were hoping to land a plum job at a bar, tenant bar, or being a waiter. Now that you got your college degree, you can beat out all the high school dropouts for those plum waiter jobs. Hey, you know, the job market could be tightening here. It might be harder to get a job or even a part-time job at a bar or a restaurant also june producer prices now maybe this is considered good news right by the people who want more inflation but they rose by more than expected increased 0.4 percent that's the fastest price increase for consumer prices in three years year over year prices are still down 0.7 percent but now they're rising at the fastest pace in three years hey I don't think higher prices are good news. I think people would rather pay lower prices. And if they have to pay higher prices, that undermines their standard of living. And finally, we did get some news on industrial production. June industrial production, year over year, the increase is just 1.54%. That is the slowest rate of year over year increase since February 2010. More importantly, too, if you look at the automobile production in June, it was down down 5.5% on the month. Big drop, maybe an indication that the subprime auto bubble has already bust. And of course, if that's the case, the last thing the Federal Reserve wants to do is speed up the deflation of that bubble by raising interest rates. In fact, if you look at all the facts now on the automobile bubble, on the quality of the loans, on how few loans are rejected, about how long... The the payments are extended into the future, about the size of the payments, about the number of people leasing. This is the biggest auto bubble yet. And, you know, you take away that fuel, that is a big deal because auto sales have been a big component of GDP. And all of those sales are made possible by throwing lending standards out the window and lending money to people who can't afford it. And we've done this before, right? We've seen that movie before. We know exactly how it ends. And it doesn't end well. And, you know, Janet Yellen knows how it ends, I believe. She, she was working at the Fed the, the entire time. It's like she's the projectionist at that movie. I mean, how many times has she seen it? So she's going to have to do everything she can uh, to try to delay the ending as long as possible, which is doing everything she can not to raise interest rates, while at the same time trying to create the false impression that she's thinking about doing just that.